If you want to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to look at a verse there to kind of start us off kind of like we did last week. Today is the last installment of uh, the series, uh, The Struggling Church, or The Struggles of the Church, where we've been looking at things that the church struggled with in the first century, and then uh, actually, in many cases, seeing how they have carried over and continue in the 21st century some of those same struggles. Uh, the last two sermons are on the topic, obviously, of persecution, dealing with persecution. Last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 5. Today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, if I didn't say 11, especially verse 1 is kind of our kickoff. We looked in Hebrews chapter 5 last week where Jesus, or it says that Jesus learned obedience when He came to earth. And we were just kind of starting with the idea that, that the suffering that Jesus went through is not the things that He had experienced in heaven, but that on earth He started to suffer for His obedience to the Lord, for His dedication to God, and how uh, we were encouraged to pray, participate, and prepare for persecution. And I hope that you did at least answer the challenge some this week to read those stories, to participate, and, and remind yourselves of what many of our, our Christian brothers and sisters go through today around the world. Today we're going to look at uh, three other passages after we kind of touch bases on and launch out in Hebrews 11. Uh, and these other three passages that deal with persecution will be to really challenge us on how to deal with persecution by putting our faith in God. And so really that's our goal today. Um, the goal as we look at persecution to consider what it is and what faith we put in God when it, when it comes to dealing with suffering and if it reaches the level of persecution how do we have faith in God in those moments, um, which is the key to dealing with it. The passage I want to start off with is from Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, if you know, most people refer to this chapter as the Hall of Fame of Faith or the, the story of all the faithful. It gives us all the people within the Bible that, were, that were, are, are recognized as giants of faith, maybe is how we would refer to them. People who responded to God's call, responded to adversity, responded to the situations God wanted them with faith, and, and they're kind of the, the heroes of the Bible. It starts off with verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. That ultimately when we talk about putting our faith in God, that we realize that we're putting our faith, that, that this is the conviction, the belief, the faith, the reliance on something that is sometimes beyond, should be beyond our ability to comprehend or understand. In verse 6 it says that this faith, it says, and without faith it is impossible to please Him, and the Him being God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who seek Him. And so we see this, this, this issue that faith is a requirement. Really it says that without it it's impossible to please God, impossible to have a relationship with God if we don't have this this faith beyond the circumstances. And then it goes down in verse 32 to show how this, this, this is lived out. It says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and David and Samuel and the prophets. For through faith uh, conquer, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. 
Others suffered mockings and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They were they went about in skins and sheeps of sheeps and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these though commended through their faith. And so we see this principle, what we see in these, the hall of fame of faith, these people that were uh, held up as great examples of faith, what we see in Jesus' life is this truth. Suffering, and in particular persecution, is the crucible that refines faith. The, the reason we know these people had faith is that they endured all of this suffering. They endured all of this pain. They, they stuck with it in these moments. And so what we have to realize is that suffering, whether it reaches what, whatever we suffer or if it reaches what we would call the level of persecution, uh, which is the, the unjust treatment due to our faith or our belief, is the crucible that refines our faith. There's a passage in the scripture that talks about our faith being refined as a fire to see if it was gold or not to get the impurities out of it. And so a key to that, I think, is faith in God. And that's kind of our goal today is to have faith in God. So the first passage I want to turn to, you can turn with me or follow along on the screen, is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As we consider turning our faith to God in the midst of persecution, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus Christ so that life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So we do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. See, there's describing, again, this crucible of, of faith, that our outer self might be passing away, but our inner self, the, the, the body of faith, is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For as we look onto the as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul is describing to the Corinthians some of the very persecution that he's going under, and he, he's recognizing how he's dealing with that. And I want to just make some quick uh, points from this passage as we see Paul shifting his faith to God and as he deals with the persecution that he's under and he's informing the church about it. The first thing that Paul does is he accepts frailty. When it comes to our suffering, when it comes to persecution, we just have to accept that we're frail, we're frail creatures. Uh, the Bible says we have this treasure, we have this, this faith in jars of clay. 
our bodies, broken and distorted. And, and we're afflicted, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. We're, we're in despair. We're persecuted. We're struck down. We're constantly giving over and to, to death in our bodies. And, and we just have to eventually get to the place where when it comes to suffering, and especially for those who, who that we're just weak, that, that dealing with persecution, dealing with suffering is we don't have within ourselves what we need to deal with that. Uh, we just have to accept we're frail. I have an entire study from a, a Bible study uh, series I do. It's called, it's a giant, it's a fairly significant book on brokenness. And, and what I realize is that sometimes the suffering we go through and the persecution possibly even is getting to us to a place where we no longer rely on ourselves. It's, there's a real struggle within the human heart, uh, uh, what we would call pride, that, uh, uh, you know, I can take care of myself. I can do it. I can figure it out. I can handle it, you know. And, and it's a blessing, really, of God that we get to the place where we go beyond what we can handle. I've told you this before, um, that you've probably heard the saying, uh, something to the effect that God won't let, put more on you than you can handle. That's just not biblical. The Bible doesn't say that, actually. Actually, in 2 Corinthians, in this same book, in chapter 1, Paul says, I, don't want you, I want you to be aware of the affliction that we were under, that we were so utterly beyond what we could handle that we thought we were going to die. That Paul got to the place where he said, this is too much for me. And he goes on to explain the reason that God let too much be put on him was so that he would turn to God. And as long as we don't accept our frailty, as long as we think, I can handle it, I can deal with it, I can manage this, I'm good, as long as we rely on ourselves, we will never get to the place where we turn towards God because we'll always be turning towards ourselves to handle it. And so there's a blessedness when we get to the place where we're beyond our ability and we are forced, and sometimes we have to be forced to accept our frailty. But once you do that, he says, he, he starts to realize, oh, my body's, what did he say? He says, my body's constantly deteriorating, but my inner self, this is verse 16, so do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, though I accept the frailty of my body and my abilities and my mind and my thinking, my inner self, my spiritual self is being renewed day by day. And so that's the second thing is we need daily renewal. That every, what is there, there's another scripture that says there's enough trouble every day for that day. And so every morning we've got to wake up, refocus on God renew our spirit, renew our thinking, and renew ourselves to renew our commitments to God, renew our dedication to God, renew our trust in God, renew our faith every day. Because you're only one phone call away from like, oh, no. It just happens that quick in our lives. And so each day we must accept our frailty, renew our trust and our faith in God, and eventually look beyond. I love that. Paul, Paul is throughout the second book of Corinthians, he's talking about his persecution. And here's how he describes it. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction, this being chained up and uh, condemned to be beheaded or, or to die, 
church tradition would hold that he died on he was actually crucified and some would hold that he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same way Jesus did to be chained between Roman guards, to be arrested, to be beaten, to be boiled and oiled, all the things that happened to him, these light and momentary afflictions. I'm not sure that's how I would have described them. So how, how is it that he says, this is no big deal. This is, just a, this is just a passing thing, you know. This is like a splinter in my finger kind of thing. Well, because he's looked beyond. The light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. And so in our moments of suffering, in our moments of persecution, if we reach that level, we have to accept our frailty, renew ourselves daily, and look beyond that this isn't where I'm going to be forever. This will pass, and something much, much better is coming. And so my first encouragement is to have faith in God for eternity to look beyond, to realize that there's something going on beyond this, that my hope is not here, that there are things to come, and they're worth it. Whatever we endure, whatever suffering we endure, that, that, even in the story that we read in from Mustafa this morning, he's like, I'm willing to go to prison for my faith. Why? Because he's convinced that something better is coming, and it's worth it. That description in Hebrews chapter 1 says, uh, in verse 6 says that we must have faith, that without faith it's impossible to believe Him, because you can't come to God unless you believe He exists, and He rewards those who seek Him. And so the looking beyond the moment is what makes this momentary in light, uh, that uh, this, is, this is how these guys dealt with persecution. This is how many of them dealt with persecution in the, the time. I'm often amazed by King David. You know, King David was promised the throne to be King David long before he became King David. And he endured much, much hardship at the hand of Saul. Uh, sleeping in caves, running for his life, getting spears thrown at him. You know, it wasn't, it was not good for King David before he was King David. But I think he always held on to that promise. He was always, one day I'll sit on the throne. One day I'll sit on the throne that this is a promise that God is faithful and he will see through his promise. One day we'll sit around the throne and we got to hold that in view of whatever suffering we do in the, in the time to come. The second passage that I want us to consider for persecution is from Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. A great promise for those who would suffer. That, that the promise for the Christian is, yes, life's going to be tough, but God's got it. God's got you. And there's a couple of points just as you will face suffering in your life on some level, 
And many of us will face suffering because of our faith. So to some degree, some type of persecution. A couple of things I want you to gather from this passage. It's fun to realize God's presence. I think we make a mistake quite often that when bad things happen, especially when persecution, we read stories like we read this morning, but we, we ask this question, well, where's God? Is he asleep? Is he, is he on vacation? Did he go to the beach? Is, is, he, is he missing? Is he missing this? What, what, what is going on? And we recognize or we, or we think wrongly that, that persecution happens because God is not around. That, that, he's, that he's, there's a lapse, there, there's some, something, he, he's missing this. And the first thing we have to realize is that in the face of persecution, in the face of suffering, it's not evidence that God's not there. That we face suffering and we face persecution in the very presence of God. That God is present with us. Probably no greater Old Testament story of persecution than Daniel, uh, no, Shadrach, Meshach, and, the, and Abednego, right? The three Hebrew children put in the fiery furnace, and the king looked in, and how many people were in there? Four. And he's like, basically, because God was present with them in the midst of the fire, right? And so we can't make the mistake to think that God is absent when we suffer, what we got to do is turn to him and say, I know you're here. And it's in those moments, just as Paul said, it's in those moments we turn to God and we find God does there. And so what do we do in the end? Once we realize that God's present, then we rest in God's character. And Mustafa, this was a quote from his thing, God is faithful. God will be here. God will, it knows what he's doing. That, that, that whatever happens in our life is for our good, even the suffering we do. And we often talk about discipline and the idea of being disciplined by God. And discipline is nothing more than being taught by God for our good. It's not always pleasant. It's not always comfortable, right? But it's for our good. And so we, we realize that God's present and we rest in God's character. He loves me. He's faithful. He cares about me. I'm his precious child. He, he is he notices all the th characters. Now, the problem is if you don't know the character of God, then it's hard to rest in that. And so that's where we dig those roots deep into the character of God, who he is, what he does, and what he believes. It's in those moments that people can say something like a dear friend of mine said one time when facing their great persecution, their great suffering in this world. It wasn't persecution. It was a, a different form of suffering. But they realized God was present with them in their moment. They rested in the character of God. And as they faced terrible diagnoses, they were able to say, either way, I win. Either way this goes, I win. That is someone who recognizes God is present and rests in his character. And so eventually what I say is that we have to have faith in God for eternity, but we have to have faith in God for our security. That's the good part of getting beyond ourselves. I ask myself this question quite often. If God doesn't save me from hell, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to run up and punch him in the nose? I'm going to say, you better, you got to, I'll make you. No, I have to trust God 
for his security. Either he's going to save me or he's not. And if he doesn't, he's God. There's nothing I can do about it. So that's why I rest in his character because he said, I came to seek and save the lost. That's what my purpose is. That's his character. And if that's what you're all about, then make me number one. I'm ready to get on board. And so our faith has to be in the character and the promises of God for our security. And not in our resources, not in our intelligence, not in our ability, not in our 401k plan, not in our insurance plan, not in Medicaid or care. Which one of those two is it? One of those things that I haven't got to yet, but I know some of you are wading through the donut hole or whatever that is, right? None of those things are secure. They're temporal. They're transient of this world. And our ultimate security has to be in Christ and Christ alone because that's who God is. Finally, I want to turn to another passage about persecution, 1 Peter chapter 4, starting with verse 12, reading for verse 19. So we've talked about putting our faith in God for eternity, putting our faith in God for our security and not ourselves, and now we're going to pick up with one more. Beloved, I love to do this with my family. I go up to them all the time. They never play along very well, but I like doing it. I got good news and I got bad news. And they're like, just tell me. Tell it all to me. They won't ever play along. Well, this is one of those good news, bad news passages within the scriptures, right? Beloved, I got good news and bad news. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You ever been in that situation where something happens, something bad happens, you're like, well, where'd this come from? Why is this happening? I'm just, what's going on? You know, and, and I see a lot of people in that place where they're like, well, I've been good. You know, I've gone to church so 52 weeks this year. I've been 37 of them. Why is this happening to me? Beloved, don't be surprised at these fire trials, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when you, when his glory is revealed, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. There's that blessing again, the blessing of suffering. Because the spirit and glory of God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it, is the, for it is the time of judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be done? What will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what, shall, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Well, the first instruction in this passage is one of the most difficult things I can figure out how to do. Rejoice in suffering. That's a difficult command. Rejoice when you're suffering. The only thing that offers me perspective is, as we talked last week, that God, that Jesus lived in heaven in a perfect world, and he came to the earth to obey God and do that in the face of suffering. It's to realize that we're experiencing the same suffering of Christ. We start off on earth learning to obey God in the midst of suffering. And our great hope is to one day, again, 
experience life as Christ experienced it first, that we get to obey God throughout eternity in a perfect world. It's evidence of our salvation. It's evidence of where we're going when we suffer for Christ. It encourages us not to suffer for evil things we did ourselves, but to suffer for Christ as a Christian. That This is a blessing we get to do. The disciples, when they were be persecuted, will go away singing and dancing to be found worthy to suffer like Christ was. This is a great challenge for us. The thing I want you to focus on, though, is the, that, that I think the rejoicing in suffering is when we, re, when we face suffering with hope. That there's a, there's, a, there's a time when the suffering will end. There's something beyond this world that we're walking the road of Christ. And here's the fact of the matter. Sometimes now the gospel that we preach is that it's a free gospel, that, that you can do nothing to earn your salvation. And that is true. It is by grace and grace alone that we're saved, not, the, not anything we do. But we can't understand or we can't equate free with easy. It may be free, but that doesn't mean it's easy to follow Christ. And so sometimes we must understand that, that our faith must go through the crucible of suffering to make it stronger. Don't be surprised when you enter the fiery trial as that it comes to test your faith. It comes to, to do away with the things that don't matter. And this is a, the growing of our faith. As we saw in Hebrews, all those great faithful, they went through their fiery trials so that they would come out faithful or full of faith on the other side. And that the suffering we go through and that the persecution we go through is a passing through the fire, a test that reveals whether our faith is of straw or if it's gold, whether, it is a, whether it's got roots or not. And, and, and I encourage you to face these things and see these days coming as, I want to pass the test. And I think the hope that we have when we face any suffering, when we face any persecution is this, is the faith that in God that there's a purpose, that God's a character, that his character is one that has a plan and a will. And that's what it says. If you, if you suffer, therefore, verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That there's a purpose in what we're going through. That this is the crucible of fire. This is the crucible that strengthens and molds and fashions and, and strengthens our faith in the end. And that we enter in sometimes with little faith and hopefully we come out on the other side full of faith or faithful because we've endured the trial. And so when we deal with suffering, I think this is, this is good whether it's just a personal suffering, whether it's a tragic suffering, whatever kind of suffering we may do in a fallen world, as well as being unjustly treated for our faith, persecution. But in the end, when we get to those places where it hurts, we turn our faith to God. We turn our eyes towards heaven, as the Bible says, set our minds on things above and not on things of the earth. We put our security in God. God is a faithful God, a God of character whose mercies are new every morning and I can trust him. And we turn our faith that God has a purpose, that whatever is going on in my life, God's using that for good, using it for my development, for, for his glory, to, to help my faith be stronger so that I will pass the test and one day join all the other faithful around the throne of God. May we be encouraged to live in a fallen world, 
a world that will be increasingly hateful towards you because of what you believe and probably treats you badly, a world that treats our brothers and sisters worse than we've ever imagined already with faith in God for his eternity, for his security, and for his purpose.